God speaks uh, the Bible to us. Let's ask him to work by his spirit as he speaks. Heavenly Father, thanks for your word that we can read. Thanks that uh, you do speak. Please do work in us by your spirit that hearing would understand, that understanding would trust you, the God who reveals truth to us. In the Lord Jesus, amen. Opposition makes it hard to keep going. It can feel foolish to keep on. So why have God's people held held on? Why have God's people held on through centuries of suffering and struggles? Why have they been willing to face threats? Why have they been willing to go to their deaths? What can we say that will help us hold on when it feels like the pressure is too much? What can we show each other? Chapters 1 to 6 of Daniel are stories uh, from nearly 70 years of history. Uh, There were visions and interpretations in the the bits and pieces of history. Uh, But chapters 7 to 12 are different. Uh, They're mostly visions. Uh, We'll see reality painted with words which describe strange beasts and supernatural figures. Animals and colors and numbers are used as symbols. Uh, Pictures are painted and angels are asked to explain what's seen. The details can be confusing. But I think that's mostly when we get caught up in the details. It's important to remember that these are pictures, not puzzles. It's more than okay to step back and to look to see what's most obvious and to take in the big picture to understand the big realities it points to, and then to let the picture sit in our minds as a way to help us see and feel reality. I think that's one key thing with these sorts of bits of the Bible. It's helpful to dig in and simplify and summarize the main idea, but we then don't want to just sit with the summary. We want to sit with the picture the picture that these words build so that it can shape and help us see the realities they point to. A few weeks ago we looked at chapter 6 which uh, began with the first years of Babylon's the first years of Babylon's fall. Chapter 7 rewinds a bit. It rewinds back to in between chapters 4 and 5. Verse 1, the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So what we saw uh, back in chapter 5 was the last day of Belshazzar's rule. Belshazzar mocked the living and true God. Within hours of that, the God he mocked judged him, killed him, took his kingdom and gave it to the Medes and Persians. In the first year of that king, uh, who ruled up to the moment that God took the kingdom from him, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote them down down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Here it is, verse 2. Daniel sees a great sea stirred up by heaven's winds. Four great beasts come up out of the water and they are wild and dangerous. They are predators to fear. Powerful, ravenous, destructive wild animals. 
Uh, the first three, they look like exactly the beasts the ancients did not want to meet as they traveled. Or did not want to have come upon them as they worked in their fields. Glance through from verse 4. There's a lion with wings, which makes it an even more deadly hunter. A bear raised up to attack, though it's still chewing on some of the ribs from its last victim. A leopard, the fastest predator, but it has wings, so it's even faster. And it has four heads, so to look around and hunt and devour. They're terrifying beasts. And then the fourth beast, it kind of gets its own introduction. In verse 7, it's different. It's like nothing on earth. It's even more horrifying. Terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, unbreakable great iron teeth. It devours and breaks in pieces and stamps what's left with its feet. It destroys what the other three left. It has ten horn, horns, uh, which are massive destructive power. Then in verse 8, Daniel sees another horn. It replaces three of the ten horns. It has eyes on it, like a, the eyes of a man, a mouth that speaks great things. All four beasts, and especially this fourth beast, are terrifying. They have terrifying power. And they devote their power and might to destruction. But they're not free agents. There's something else going on in verses 3 to 8. There's someone else there, someone who is greater than the great base, someone who acts on them. Uh, Glance from verse 4 again. See, there's someone who plucks the wings off the lion, who lifts it up, who makes it stand like a man, gives it a mind of a man. Someone raises the bear on one side, tells it to devour much flesh. Someone gives the leopard dominion. It's easy with this to think back to Nebuchadnezzar and his dream of the four metal image in chapter 2. God revealed a sequence of nations one after the other. We've seen God make Nebuchadnezzar go down like an animal and then raise him up like a man, returning the mind of a man. We've seen God remove the lion Babylon and raise up the bear-like Medes and Persians. Nations and empires rise and fall, replaced, 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 as God who rules does it. God rules now and always. And in verse 9, Daniel sees him. Uh, As I looked, he says, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as wool, his hair, the hair on his head, like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. Fire. Here is the greatest one. With age and experience on his side, he is glorious. There is nothing beastly about him. He is seated in splendor. A stream of fire issued, uh, came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. See, this is a picture of God enthroned and worshipped and served. A million, a hundred million, an enormous and almost uncountable crowd serving and worshipping God who is worthy. What a great vision for Daniel on the day he saw it. What a great vision for his first readers, whether they were still exiled in Babylon or, or back in Judah. 
They lived under overlords who did not bow to Yahweh. They felt small before the mighty bear-like Medes and Persians. So very few in such a great empire. What a great picture for them and for us when we feel the weight of being a minority. So very few of those we live among know God as Father and Jesus as Savior. See this and see our God is worthy. He is in control of all things. Our God will set things straight. At the end of verse 10, the court sits in judgment and the books are opened. Uh, the, the, the books, the, the, the pages of the, of the books tell the deeds uh, of these beasts and everyone, I take it, their deliberate damage, their careless words. Because verse 11, Daniel's attention is pulled away uh, by the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And the most terrifying, the most powerful beast is killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned by fire. In that brief sentence, the base that was described <laughs> as almost unstoppable power is stopped, killed, destroyed. The other three live on, verse 12. Their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. They no longer rule. God prolongs their lives for a season and a time. They're still there, but they're on a leash. They're limited, and they have a limited lifespan. Only for a season and a time, then the end will come. The Ancient of Days judges them. He's over all these powers and authorities. And in verse 13, someone who is anything but beastly comes to him. Uh, He comes with the clouds of heaven. Uh, One like a son of man comes to the Ancient of Days and is presented before him. He is greater than the beasts. He is a human, uh, not not a humanish beast. He is the true image of God. A human who we might imagine as being vulnerable to these great and awesome beasts. But this human is greater than them. He is presented to the Ancient of Days who judges and he is not judged. He is not destroyed. He is not stripped of his power. Verse 4, he is given power. He is given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Even Adam were were given uh, dominion over the earth uh, to attend and care for it. And here is one who is greater, greatest. Uh, This one, uh, like a son of man, is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Unlike the beast, this son of man, this human, this image bearer has dominion that will never be removed. God rules now and always. And when the son of man is given dominion, he rules always. Now, Daniel saw it. And what he saw shook him. He says he's anxious He's alarmed, verse 15. Now, for the rest of this chapter, almost the rest, all of, just not the last verse, uh, he's still in his vision. 
but he's responding even while he's still in it. He asks and the angel explains. Look at verse 16. Uh, Daniel picks one of those uh, thousand thousand, one of those ten thousand times ten thousand, and he asks them to explain, to tell him the truth about what he saw. That angel explains, verse 17. He says, These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. The four kingdoms fit with what we might have expected if we had chapter 2 already in our heads with those four, with the four metal image. Uh, kingdoms replaced, replaced, replaced. Verse 17, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever forever and ever. This kingdom will never be destroyed. Like the stone in the chapter 2 dream. It's the kingdom that lasts forever. And it's given to the saints. Now, saints in the Bible, they're not the top shelf, um, uh, super spiritual people. The word saint just means holy one. How are they holy? Well, they're holy in that they're set apart. Set apart exclusively. Like a molded mouth guard. Yeah, once it's molded, it's just for one person. Holy people are set apart. They're set apart for God. Saint is about whose they are before it's ever saying anything about what they're like. It's about whose they are long before it says anything about what they're like. It's the same in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. People who trust Christ as Savior are His saints. They're His holy people. They're set apart as His. And because of whose we are, we're called to be holy in the way we live. The angel explains here that God's precious people receive the kingdom and possess it forever, forever and ever. And this side of Jesus' death and resurrection that's very clearly pointing to the eternal life with Christ, our King and God, our Father. God rules now and always. Jesus, the Son of God, rules now and always. God's precious people will enjoy eternal life. See, this is the big picture of this vision when the angel is asked about it. Kings and kingdoms rule. Political powers, corporations, culture shapers uh, seem to be the defining realities of who has power. They will last, but not forever. God's precious people have an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept for us and we are kept for it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We will dwell with God our Father and Jesus our Savior forever, forever and ever. That's the big picture of this vision. It's designed to give confidence in the face of those who have power over us. Those who might push us towards compromise. We can confidently trust God who brought us into Christ's kingdom that he will bring us to our eternal home. Now as I read verse 18, 
one of the things I was wondering about as I read it was, why is the angel talking about the saints receiving the kingdom when the vision talked about one like a son of man? The son of man gets the everlasting dominion in the vision. But Daniel's wondering about something else. Let's go with what he wonders about. Um, verse 19, and 20, 19 to 22, Daniel asks about the fourth beast. And as he asks, he mentions a few things he didn't mention the first time he described that fourth beast. Initially, it's much the same. It's, uh, it's exceedingly terrifying. Iron teeth, bronze claws, devours, breaks in pieces, stamps what's left. It has ten horns, another little horn, which pushes out three of the ten. It has uh, The little horn has eyes and a mouth, speaks great things, seems greater than its companions. Then verse 21, Daniel says something he didn't mention before. He didn't mention the first time. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Now it makes sense why Daniel was alarmed and anxious. Why he wanted to know about the fourth beast uh, and the other horn. We didn't see this before, but now we do. Now we understand his curiosity. It makes war with the saints and prevails over them. Daniel saw God's precious people at the mercy of the fourth beast and the other horn and receiving no mercy from them, prevailed over, overcome. Not permanently. Only, verse 12, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints and the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Daniel saw how it ends. He saw the Ancient of Days on his throne, the beast judged, God's precious people possessing the kingdom. He's alarmed and anxious about what happens before them. War with the saints, the horn prevailing over them. So he asks. And verse 23, the angel explains, as the fourth beast, sorry, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. This basically is every bit as destructive as Daniel thought it was. A kingdom and its kings, the most powerful of its kings, as powerful as three of the others put together, and that, 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 that king's words, they're not just great things. They're great words spoken against the most high God. Blasphemy bigger than Belshazzar's. Verse 25, he will wear out God's precious people, grind them down, harass, afflict, trouble, oppress. He'll aim to change the times and the law. Uh, changing thoughts about what's next, changing uh, thoughts about relationship with God, the law, sacrifice to him, obedience to him. They will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. He blasphemes the Most High God. He persecutes his people. But 
it's because they're given into his hand. He can only do it because the Most High gives it to him. Just like God, just like the Most High gave Jerusalem into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, God will give this precious people into this king's hand. But only for a time. So, only is a strange word to use. I think that's the reality that Daniel felt and saw in this vision. He saw God's future precious people. He saw what's beyond. But he saw the terror of the fourth king, of the fourth kingdom and its most powerful king making war against them. A more determined persecution than Daniel himself had already experienced. That's why he was anxious and alarmed. And why he asked about this fourth beast? He felt the weight of God's precious people persecuted. He hears it's temporary. It's for a time, times, and half a time. For time cuts short. It won't keep going on and on. When the time is up, the court shall sit. The dominion shall be taken away and to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Verse 27, God will judge and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. The kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. God's precious people rule. They rule where we expect to see the Son of Man. But they rule. Imagine the first hearers of Daniel's book, still under the rule of the Medo-Persian overlords, hearing that out ahead of them is the day when they will rule. God's kingdom will certainly come. It will not always be as it is. The last verse is Daniel's response. Uh, He's seen where things end, but he also sees what must come first. That's what greatly alarms him. Daniel doesn't jump over the horror. (laughs) Confident hope and expectation of what God will certainly do in the future doesn't require peaceful indifference to suffering and struggles while we wait. The picture God gives us in this chapter will help us guard against such peaceful indifference. God isn't telling us to expect strange uh, supernatural beasts in, in our streets or in the pages of history. He's giving us a better way to see nations and powers and rulers who oppose God and his people. He's giving us a better way to see the unseen reality. When the powerful put pressure on God's precious people and aim to wear them down. When laws are shaped to pressure towards compromise, when the powerful influence, when powerful influences cast believers as the bad guys. It's just people doing their thing. But this vision helps us see that it's beastly. It's better pictured as lions and bears and leopards, a predator beast with iron teeth and bronze claws with his heart set on complete destruction. To see the unseen reality, 
as God's people are attacked and worn down. Now, there are things to puzzle about uh, these beast kingdoms. Uh, which kingdoms do they represent? I think the tight connection between chapter 2 and chapter 7 uh, means that I think it, it's right to go gold, lion, Babylon, uh, silver, bear, meats and Persians, bronze, leopard, grace, iron, fourth-based Rome. But none of them were, were literally metal-based, and I'm not sure we should be looking for an exact representation, exact configuration in terms of ten kings and who they are. So we'll come back to that a bit as we go on through Daniel. This vision is giving us a way to imagine what we see. A way to imagine it which is truer to reality than what we see with our eyes. This helps us picture kings and kingdoms, powers and influences as predator-based, pursuing and devouring their prey. The big influences in our culture, the big influences in Japanese culture, Eurasian. It helps us see the rise, that they rise and fall at God's will and command. It helps us see how dreadful they are, but that they are not out of his control. Remember the bear told to devour much fresh, the, the, the leopard given dominion, the saints given into the hand of the little horn. Kings and kingdoms, powers and influences are predator-based, pursuing and devouring their prey, but they do it under the sovereign control of our sovereign God. He is in control. He is in control as it unfolds, and he will judge in the end. This vision helps us see and Feel the horror and know God's care and plan. In spite of appearances, the events of history and the events of our lives are firmly under God's control. This this vision gives us a better way to see unseen reality. The horror of opposition God's precious people face and our Heavenly Father's care and rule over it. So what about the Son of Man and the saints? Uh, listen to these three snippets uh, from Mark's Gospel, where Jesus uses that phrase, Son of Man, and this is where he's getting it from. Uh, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus says, uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In his trial, the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus used that phrase, Son of Man, to speak about himself to speak about the day he came to the Ancient of Days. And that coming has already happened. Jesus is now already at the right hand of his Father, ruling and reigning. Jesus is now already ruling. He came to the Ancient of Days through his death and resurrection, 
He is seated and ruling already, reigning over all things. He rules now and he will rule always, eternally. So why does the interpreting angel talk about saints ruling? Well, that's because when the king rules, his people share his victory. His people share his rule. Christ's precious people share our king's rule. Now, in some sense, we who trust the risen and ascended Lord Jesus have been raised with him and are already seated with him in the heavenly places. Already. But we haven't yet entered into the full experience of his rule. That day is yet to come. Now, it certainly will come. As sure as Christ Jesus, our Lord, the glorious Son of Man, has come to the Ancient of Days, has been presented before him, has been given dominion and glory and the kingdom, so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. As sure as his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be be destroyed. As sure as Jesus rules, his people will receive their eternal kingdom. It's certain, but not yet. Meanwhile, beastly powers prevail and aim to overcome. It can fail like they're winning. It can fail like it's time to give up. But when it does, remember that verse 22 comes after verse 21. Verse 26 comes after verse 25. Relief will come. Opposition isn't a sign it's time to give up and give in. It's a sign that the end will come. It is what will happen until. So stand firm and press on. Stand firm and press on until the Ancient of Days and His glorious Son come to judge and save and to bring their people into our imperishable, undefiled and unfading inheritance. Let's pray. Father, please, for ourselves and for Christian brothers and sisters, we ask that when we feel the pressure upon ourselves to deny the Lord and distance ourselves from Him, Father, we ask that You will help us to see the basely destructive power that aims to do that to us. And see you on your throne and your son at your right hand. Ruling over even that. And ruling until the day when your son comes. When the books are opened. When judgment is done. And your people raised. And brought to our eternal, imperishable undefiled, unfading inheritance, eternal life delighting in you, our Father, and Jesus, our Savior. It's in him we ask it. Amen.